0: Hi, this is Sarah Vaughan, and welcome to Mary Claire's Start Somewhere podcast. This week I'm delighted to have as my guest Elizabeth Peyton Jones, uh, the master herbalist and naturopath and founder and CEO of Responsible Trust for Models. Welcome, Elizabeth. How are you today?
1: Thank you, Sara. I am good today.
0: <laughs> that's, that's great to hear. And, you know, as you
1: know, the first question is really, you know, about how did you start out in life? How did I start out? It's such a funny question, isn't it? Because, you know, um, well, for me, possibly, because actually, I found life quite difficult. Um, I found education very difficult. I wasn't one of these smart kids at school who passed all the exams. I was hugely dyslexic at a time when people didn't understand dyslexia. So for me, I actually got into reading by reading comics. Um, and I used to love comics, um, but they're not very educational. <laughs> <laughs> know. Which ones were you reading? <laughs> Anything anything that had a picture funnily enough, which I suppose meant at that time that I was probably more visual than I was, sort of audio or something, but um i but you know the the thing about it was is that i I must have been fairly determined because I actually went to university and read english, so wow. and yeah. I've now written four books, so you see, you know, um I think that you know at, at the time you know the teachers felt that I was very stupid and in fact in in Latin classes and things like that they'd say to me why don't you draw the soldiers Elizabeth while everybody else was learning Latin you know things like that and so you you know I I definitely grew up with a feeling that nothing was going to come of me that that you know that my place in the world definitely wasn't out there so it's it's um I think the start in life was when I decided that I wasn't going to listen to what everybody was saying, I suppose, and that I felt something burning in me and I needed to explore it. So my first start in life was really to get to know myself. You know, who was I? What, what did I want? What was I good at? Because I didn't seem to be that good at, at very much.
0: Wow. And, and I mean, this is unbelievable. I, I, didn't, I didn't know about the dyslexia at all and I mean you know here you are four books later I mean that's astonishing the determination to overcome that is is absolutely huge so when you left school what, what happened what happened next
1: well I did you know um I did some I did typing in you know in those days you went to um, typing school and you know I was learning on these huge great typewriters where I used a lot of Tippex. <laughs> <laughs> and correct the tape in fact one time i used so much correct tape that the machine broke <laughs> so i was i was probably the, the worst typist out there possible i mean you know and i felt so bad in fact one time i took a job and i i broke the computer i only managed to type one letter and the guy gave me 30 pounds at the end of the day and i gave it back to him and said no i really can't take it <laughs> I mean, I was really hopeless. I mean, beyond hopeless. And then I thought, well, what do you do when you're hopeless? I know, go to university. So <laughs> <laughs> off I went. Um, and actually, I had a great time. And I did a, I did an exchange. I was an exchange student um, to an American college in Pennsylvania, which was was fantastic. It really opened my eyes to things like NASA and things like that, and also the way the Americans were and these sort of like the hu- that huge country and landscape and different cultures and and I really you know I really loved it and I learned a lot and actually I found that I really loved English and I loved history and those two things that I could really grasp and um Mm. and then I um and then I lived in Russia for four years and actually that's when my passion for well actually I lived before that I lived two years in Hong Kong Um, And I learned a little bit about Chinese medicine and about Mm. acupuncture and about healing, healing. And then I went to Russia and it was a time when perestroika had just happened and Mm -hmm. the West was just coming in and, but the old school thoughts were still there. So they didn't believe in modern medicine at all. They didn't trust their doctors Mm -hmm. and um, they certainly didn't believe in anything the West was going to give them. So when I was there, I was a really a pharmaceutical type girl. I mean, you know, if there was a pill, you know, if you had a problem, there was a pill for it. And if there was no pill for it, basically, there was no problem. So, you know, <laughs> I I went there because my father had lived through the war. And and so basically, he very much believed in antibiotics and all the pills mm-hmm. the doctors gave him. So I grew up a little bit like that. But I get to Russia. And actually, after a year of being there, I, I, got, I became very, very sick. Um, and... Um, it turned out I was allergic to penicillin um, and uh, the docs were trying to feed me on that. Anyway, this Russian girl mm-hmm. came around and she had like this bag of food with her and a bottle of vodka. And I was thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to die now. And anyway, she took down the fever I had with her bottle of vodka she she put the vodka on my feet to draw out the heat because i couldn't swallow anything because i had these glands it was so swollen i was totally red i'd gone i'd gone i my whole body because i'd become allergic to the to the um to the um penicillin i, I just caused me to go beetroot red and yeah. then um she gave me she gave me this broth which she had cooked up and i enough, i fell asleep and when i woke up i felt better I mean, I wasn't cured, but I felt better. And I thought, how did that happen? That's food. And food has never made me feel that good. So Mm. I was thinking, gosh, there's real power in this that I don't know about. And then that's what started me on the journey of becoming a a master herbalist and naturopath. I thought, these are sort of secrets people should know. And actually, interesting, Sarah, in this 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 sort of corona downtime, this Mm. is the time for people to really look at their kitchen, understand themselves see the healing power of food and just really see what they can do to repair themselves and heal themselves
0: yeah and and you've written an amazing book since haven't you which is what is it the a to z of 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 um of um sorry excuse me the, i've got it in front of me here the first stage kitchen remedies which is absolutely amazing and i I've, I've i've really <laughs> really been enjoying it
1: well, it's quite i mean you know it's it's sort of fun to flick through, but also if you do suddenly have a cough or a bruise or a i don't know a sting or a bite or or you've got you know you're cut you've you've cut yourself and you can't stop bleeding or something like that there are there's tips in there i mean the bleeding thing's actually funny enough well not funnily, but I'd just written that book. Um, my nephew came to stay, and he was about four at the time. And no, you know what boys are like. They're very boisterous. And they, he was on the bed, jumping around on the bed and jumped too much and fell, and, of course, whacked his head and, and cut it quite badly on a Saturday when, of course, you can't. There's no doctor around, and it wouldn't stop bleeding. So um, he was obviously howling, and I went to the kitchen to get a, a teabag. The thing is, is, if you have, have a teabag, you put it in boiling water and the tannins in the tea coagulate the blood. So I took up the, the tea bag to him and put it on his forehead, and of course he stopped crying because he just thought it was amazing <laughs> that this sort of like tea bag was going to be on his forehead and that was going to be his medicine. You know, it was sort of, you know, so the whole episode. Stopped, but it, but, but it really works. It really, really works. It stops the bleeding.
0: Yeah, and so, and I love this book because because there are quite a lot of things that it, you know again I sort of grew up with if you like or, or knew about once upon a time, and it's like wow these these they really do work uh, and and are, and are hugely effective
1: yeah you know I'm, i've turned to it for a few times during this coronavirus um for the coughs obviously um and for anti um antibacterial um antifungal infections and and things like that you know because um there's so much that you can do and then you know obviously you, you took to studying this and then you started practicing and seeing patients is that right yes yeah, so um I saw patients and um originally you know I, I I didn't want to to do anything too major so I really just took people through sort of like a detox was really how it worked and and um You know, when you're first training and things like that, anything that that anybody says that they have, you feel that you've had it at some point as well. So therefore, you know how to treat them. So, you know, Mm. if somebody has a headache, you go, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, exactly the headache or a stomachache or insomnia. You know, it's like, oh, yes, I've had that. I've had that. I know exactly how to treat it. But in fact, as you get more, as you listen more closely and you take yourself out of the picture, you begin to treat people um you begin to hear things differently, and you take yourself out of the equation, and then you become a good practitioner so mm. so it took a while, and to do that, I really took people through detox to begin with. but detox is a fantastic tool because basically it doesn't matter really what's wrong with you if you do a general detox I mean I found that seventy percent of people's ailments cleared up when I wow. took them through a detox yeah i I mean that in itself is amazing, but the reason I wrote the book is because after after, you know, 10 years of this, what I found was I had people coming back to me saying, wow, I look younger. I feel better. You know, mm-hmm. I feel better than I did when I was in my 20s. And I realized that the the power of food was turning back the clock, if you like. So it was allowing people people's body to sort of breathe and, and um, recover, but also repair in a way that then stopped them getting more dis-ease, if you like. Um, yeah and you wrote another book about that didn't you yeah so my first book was Eat Yourself um, Young and then I wrote a second book called Cook Yourself Young um, but you know the funny thing about it was, it was when, when this first came out Eat Yourself Young it was about 15 years ago and when mm-hmm. I was written they wrote a piece about me in, in the Telegraph and, and said if, um, that I was a white witch and 100 years ago I'd have been burnt at the stake <laughs> so I mean it just shows how much mm-hmm. we've grown since then you know it's sort of Thank like God. it's much more acceptable <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> absolutely And we're actually embracing it thankfully wow and so tell me about you know this you know we don't have to mention any names but tell me about the
1: the, the kind of people who were coming to see you um well originally of course it started with friends and then friends of friends. And then, um, you know, then word got out. And then I had the piece, um, I had uh, some press about me. And in fact, the telegraph piece, despite the fact that it was not very flattering. In fact, the next day, I mean, I I didn't really think about it. And it came out on a Saturday. And I picked up my phone on a Monday. And there'd been so many phone calls that BT couldn't handle the calls and the phone collapse. (laughs) wow and i had i had over 250 emails it took me 3 days to get back to everybody and basically from that i was filled up for 6 months i mean i just was i had patients from you know sometimes 6:30 in the morning until 8 at night oh um, and it was really very 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 busy i mean and i and and so i didn't stop and that was good because then i got to see a variety of ailments i treated a lot of people, you know, and, and you, you really get to see things frontline. Um, and that made me a better practitioner because, mm. you know, you just, it's, it's about the numbers really at the end of the day, how many people you're seeing and, and um, how many people are getting better. And the good thing about um, being a practitioner is is that you can't hide. I mean, a patient either gets better or they don't. Mm. So, and you have to be successful, otherwise you have no practice. So yeah. and and at that point in time I was the last resort. So people would only come to me when they'd been to every you know every doctor every specialist everybody. And then they came to me because they were told sorry there's nothing we can do.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: So it was you know it was I mean sometimes it was quite overwhelming but but mm. you know it was very satisfying too because suddenly people were beginning to get better and that encouraged me to go on and on and on and on. Mm. Yeah.
0: So mm-hmm. I had
1: yeah, who came? I mean, you know, you know, obviously, then you get to celebrity stage and models yeah. and that sort of thing. You know, yeah, you know, and it. and
0: you know, you you said models there, and 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 you you know, you
1: you were seeing quite a lot of models at this stage. Is that right? Yes, I saw models or um, model people that had been models, so I, mm-hmm. either currently or um, they were people who had. Had a modeling career, and you know I, I had suffered i mean um i had by that time I was doing emotional therapy work with people as well because I realized that just treating the body doesn't work you know I had to treat the mind as well, mm-hmm. and often people you know what what happens is you have trauma and unless you can move on from your trauma um you tend to create the same scenario over and over and over until it's resolved and so um often that means that you go back to a physical ailment over and over Um, Mm. but also mentally you create the same um environment for yourself so really moving people onward um required you know some some spiritual work too if you want to call it that Mm. you know so i i worked on it in tandem so people were coming to me in their 40s who had had trauma in their, you know, twenties, mm-hmm. um, but couldn't hold down a job or had a family and were finding that negative things were getting to rear their heads, or they couldn't have a proper relationship, and so um, they came to me. And they might have come to me originally with a stomach complaint or insomnia or, you know, mm-hmm. IBS or something like that, or they wanted to, to go on a diet. Um, but then by the end of it, you know, it became a very much uh, much an emotional um, healing process. So, um, and, but yes, the common denominator was, is that I was seeing a lot of models mm. and they all seemed to have the same sort of stories. Um, and so then I was asked by the British fashion council to do a diet for models. And I thought, well, I've written three books. Why am I doing a diet for models? Um, mm. there's so many books out there. I mean, you know, so I looked at the diets that are out there. I thought they were all pretty sensible. I couldn't really understand why there was a need. So I thought, well, okay, I'm going to have a look at the industry itself and see what's going on in the industry. Because in, in my profession, you have to look holistically at everything. And in my profession, when somebody comes to you with a symptom, you have to find the cause. So I was thinking to myself, okay, what is the cause of size zero? You know, what is the cause of... of so many eating disorders in this industry you know, what is the cause of um mental health or ill health and and drugs in this industry? so I spent a year researching um, and I rang everybody models, modeling agencies, parents of models um photographers, casting directors, brands, everybody, and they were really open and um Lovely to talk to, and they all, they all had, you know, various stories and issues and and um, concerns. So I thought, well, this is crazy. I think we should do something about it. So I created mm-hmm. a, you know, I, um, I recommended that um, various things should change, like for example, the contracts which were too binding and leading to financial distress and sometimes debt poverty. Um, you know, I suggested that there should be training because there's no training and you can't have self-esteem unless you have some sort of training because you're made to believe that you're only there because you have a pretty face. So, um, you know, I believe there was there should be training. And then finally, I I believe that there should be a standard, which is over modeling agencies which is clear what best practices so that when they're on a shoot when they're at a casting or a show um everybody knows what the rules are so some of the people that have come into this industry with the hope of just seeing beautiful women and and men if you're you know and you know they just want to hang around these beautiful people there are some restrictions and rules that they can't just have open access but, you know, I presented it to the British Fashion Council. I found, you know, what I put around. Nobody seemed that interested. I gave it to them and said, this is what I think that you should do. But then nobody really wanted to do it. I think they thought that the task was too big. Nobody would be interested. It would cost too much. People didn't want to have change. The industry didn't want to change. How was, how was, how was you ever going to do it? A global industry, how is it ever going to change? So I thought, right. Well, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it because we're talking (laughs) about kids these are children, you know. And for me, it's not good enough to think it's going to be hard work to change something. I mean, you know, I I started off, (laughs) as I said, with hard work. I mean, it was hard work just learning to read. I mean, you know, (laughs) I'm not not being put off by a few people that say this, you know, ain't going to happen. But I have a poster on my wall which says, for those that say it cannot be done, shouldn't stop the person doing it.
0: Oh, I love that. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. So that's what I, you know, that's what I read every day. And the days that I want to give up, I sit there and say, "Fine, okay, Elizabeth, give up, give up, be ninety-nine percent of the population, you know, <laughs> and give up, give up." But if you really, really want, you have to go through that pain. break. you have to sweat and you have to, you have mm-hmm. to go through it. You just have to. So mm-hmm. then I think, Well, shall I give up? And I think, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm like Again, <laughs>
0: when I know that one where I was like, "Should I just give up?" And it's like, "Nah, you really cannot." <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I have a sort of like a ten-minute indulgent kind of like poor me, poor me moment, and then it's like, "Okay, enough of that business. I ain't going to get you anywhere." <laughs>
0: so, so you decided to take this on. Uh, so what did you do next?
1: So I took it on and you know I I spoke to um I didn't really understand the industry you see and and so mm. um you know I spoke to modeling agencies um who were very polite um to me and very um seemingly willing to to help you know um and then I spoke to some brands the brands were sort of you know whether it, you know spoke to LVMH and caring big brands Burberry you know mm-hmm. when we went there and they were very much kind of like you know patting me on the back and saying yes this is a problem and don't worry we'll do something about it sort of thing and um, but getting them together to create an independent global standard um was hard because you know because of the competition so for example and that is the issue in the industry is that um they feel that it is anti-competitive to do good, so they want to feel like they're, they've created their own rules around it and everybody's sticking to their rules. Um, and so therefore, it's a struggle for them to see that, in fact, an independent body needs to oversee what they are doing in order to create safety
0: so then you set up the responsible trust for models
1: yes yeah, so i um decided that you know if if nobody else was going to do it i would um and i became quite official about it and created the responsible trust for models and and started um just very very slowly you know seeing what was possible reaching out seeing what the stomach was in the you know for the for the industry what they were planning, you know what they were willing to move on um and my remit has always been that you know I need to work with the industry so I'm not here you know dissing people I'm not here you know calling people out because you know there are people doing that anyway so I don't feel the need Um, but also to be honest you know that it's very old guard old school behavior and in the 80s you know people behaved badly I mean men behaved very very badly. You know, the first jobs that I had, you know, my bum was pinched, my boobs were goggled at, my, you know, they they lured comments everywhere. And you kind of like took it on the chin a little bit. So and Um, I think everybody found it sort of acceptable because they had to. Now the world has changed and everybody is trying to find, you know, the new feet, as it were. So I don't want to sort of like go back, you know, historically blaming and shaming people, but I do want to move people now that we, now that we understand the problem. Now, everybody needs to move forward on that because now there are no excuses. So, Mm. yeah.
0: Yeah. What are the main things you're you're asking for with the responsible trust for models?
1: Well, it's, you know, I'm asking for there to be a standard. A standard over model agencies so that, um, and the reason I say model agencies is because they're the easiest to monitor and also because they're frontline with the models. Um, Mm -hmm. They also, you know, I think there should be a better standard of a a better standard contract because the the contracts at the moment, um, unless you happen to be with a very good agency and the standard contract is, is, it's too binding and um, leads to all sorts of um, problems. And so that obviously needs to change. Um, and I'm, I'm asking for there to be, you know, some sort of recognition of the model as being a worker. I mean, this mm-hmm. is their job. You know, the, 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 mm-hmm. the studio, the casting um, rooms, the, the fashion shows are their, are their workplace. This is where they earn money. Mm-hmm. And yet often they're not paid and they're not respected. And it's because there is a perception that it's it's they got there because of their pretty face and it's an easy job and they earn lots of money, all of which is untrue. And you've got some pretty amazing ambassadors on board. Is that right? I do. I've been I've been very, very lucky. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to ask models to really champion this um, because I think it's very difficult. and They might lose their job because of it. So. For me, Mm -hmm. it's not something that I think that um, I'm not asking them to do it um, unless they feel that they really can. Um, I think it's the, um, I really ask industry to sort of step up. But along the way, you know, I have come across very brave people who have said that they would be, you know, the face of it and are willing to really champion it, you know. Um, Arizona Muse being one of them she's fantastic model mm. she's now very strident about sustainability in all kinds so mm. that's not just saving the planet but also human um yeah you know Tandy Newton is is great and i've known her for, for many years and um mm. she's no she knows and understands the hardships and um she's right out there you know promoting and and um supporting us you know which is wonderful but, you know, over and above mm. that, you know, we have um, governments, um, industry professionals, um, philanthropists, people like that who, who believe in our cause. So, you know, really, you know, coming
0: towards the the end, very sadly, of our, of our time together. But, you know, if somebody is, 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 is thinking about going into modeling, what would your
1: advice be to them? Um, always have somebody look over the contract that's not the agent. Um, Mm. be very careful what you sign, um, and try and remove your, your self-esteem from your job. I mean, this is, this is a job, um, and try not to get too emotional about it. I mean, one of the reasons that men tend to be, you know, emotionally less scarred in this job is because they tend to have another thing, um, on the go at the same time. And um, a lot of them have a lot more um, sort of, I suppose, self-esteem. So, you know, go into it being very, very realistic. It's a short um, part of your life. And don't give up education to do it. Just don't.
0: Very wise words. And Elizabeth, what's, you know, in terms of like, you know, you've got all our listeners um, you know, listening to you, you know is there a, is there a bigger ask or invitation that you would like to make to them?
1: Yes, I think you know the bigger ask for for everyone is really to imagine that that uh, models, regardless of how they're dressed up and made up, are kids that they're, they're basically children, mm-hmm. and that you know your child may be upstairs in their bedroom being groomed by somebody you know online, mm-hmm. and that we need safeguards for children and that modeling isn't what it's perceived to be, that there are all sorts of dangers. I mean, and I just hope that the general public um, begin to see the model as a different type of profession um, and have some sympathy because it's the unconscious bias that is allowing these things not to change
0: wonderful elizabeth thank you very much for for, for joining me today uh, and for talking some very sobering words of, uh, uh, about uh, about the modeling industry thank you very much to everyone and uh, catch me next time for the next start somewhere thank you elizabeth bye